Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 503rd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast, ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going way north to Maine. Bring your parka. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at least at this time of the year, it's probably very pleasant as compared to how hot we've been down here in the south. But we're going to be checking out a lot of haunted inns in the city of Kennebunkport. Excellent. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Phil, Rachel, Michaela, Simone, Leanna, and Joanna. Thank you so much for joining the Spooktacular crew. And now, this moment in oddity. Diane and I love the ocean, along with the creatures who live there. Here in Florida, there's been an underwater music festival held for nearly 40 years. The festival takes place yearly in the Lower Keys near Big Pine Key, and this year it attracted hundreds of divers and snorkelers. The purpose of the festival is to bring awareness to the protection of 3,800 square miles of ocean, which includes the only living coral reef in the continental United States. The location of the music festival is part of the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary and spotlights the importance of reef conservation to the attendees. The underwater ecosystem here is magnificent, and of course the ultimate message of all the musical harmonies enjoyed is how to appreciate, protect, and reduce underwater footprints. I mean, finprints. To ensure the health of our reefs and oceans. Now, the entertainment at the festival includes divers mimicking musical performances underwater, according to videos posted. There are mermaids, guitar players, and even some on brass. However, the actual musical festival is held on a sandy area removed from the reef because one would not want to cause underwater reverberations of music to disturb the creatures which are the focus of the protection. Some of the music performed this year was a theme song from The Little Mermaid, Yellow Submarine, and many more. The videos we have seen of divers mimicking bands performing ocean-themed hits were entertaining, but the thought of musical performances underwater certainly is odd. Hello, this is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, 
I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. And now, this month in history. month of September on the 5th in 1698, Russian Tsar Peter the Great imposed a tax on beards. Prior to this tax being created, the Tsar traveled through Europe in disguise as Sergeant Pyotr Mikhailov. His purpose was to study the innovations employed by Great Britain and the Dutch, which had made the country so powerful for the time. Peter the Great spent time working at a shipyard for the Dutch East India Company, where he studied their shipbuilding innovations. He also worked in the Royal Navy's dockyard in Deptford. His fact-finding mission also led him to exploring factories, arsenals, schools, and museums. At one point, he was even able to attend a session of Parliament. Once he returned to Russia, he began working on modernizing his country to try and compete with the other European superpowers. He put into effect many reforms regarding the economy, government, and religious matters. One of those reforms was for his military to go beardless, as he had viewed on many of the Western Europeans he had encountered while traveling. At one point, he was said to have brandished a large barber's razor at a reception he was being honored at. He then proceeded to shave the beards of many of the guests. He then announced that all Russian men had to remove their beards, which resulted in massive pushback. This rejection included the Russian Orthodox Church, who declared the shaving of beards blasphemous. From there, the Tsar determined he could use the idea as a policy to make money for the state. Peter the Great imposed a tax for those men wishing to keep their beards. It is recorded that nobility and merchants had to pay a tax as high as 100 rubles per year and commoners as little as one kopeck. Those who paid the tax received a token as proof of their payment. Suffice it to say, of all the reforms established by Peter the Great, his beard tax is certainly one of the more unusual ones. Kennebunkport is a main town that goes back hundreds of years. This coastal resort town plays host to several haunted inns. The Kennebunkport Captain's Collection in Maine are four historic homes that have belonged to the Captain Daniel Walker family. Two of them are reputedly haunted. There is also the Nonantum Resort, which is the oldest inn in town. And the Kennebunk Inn hosts a well-known spirit in the town. Join us for the history and hauntings of Maine's Kennebunkport. Kennebunkport was originally known as Cape Porpoise and was first incorporated in 1653. The early white settlers began to leave shortly thereafter as local indigenous tribes raided them regularly. Eventually, settlers returned and they formed a new community that they called Arendelle in 1718. In 1821, Arendelle became Kennebunkport, with Kennebunk meaning long-cut bank. The earlier town names can still be found in the city in smaller village areas. The main economies in the area were shipbuilding and river trade. 
By the 1870s, people started looking to this area of Maine as a summer destination. Hotels and homes were built all along the coast. Today, this is still a popular place for tourists, which has included the Bush family. The Bush family owns the Walker's Point Estate in Kennebunkport, and it served as the summer White House for President George H.W. Bush. The Walker family has deep roots here. Gideon Walker was one of the first settlers to come to the mouth of the Kennebunk River in the mid-1700s. He was born in October of 1719 in Kittery, York, Maine. He married Hannah Palmer in 1741, and they settled on a large swath of land that Gideon had inherited. Much of this land would become Kennebunk Port. The couple had seven sons and three daughters. One of those sons was Captain Daniel Walker, and he inherited much of his father's land when Gideon passed away in 1805 at the age of 85. Daniel Walker married a woman named Lois, and they had five children. And after each child married, Daniel deeded them some land upon which they could build their own homes. These homes were all close to each other, as the men of the family all became captains and were often out at sea, and their families liked to be close to each other for support. Four of these homes still stand and pass through generations of seafaring families before becoming small boutique inns. They got a big upgrade in 2021 when New England's Lark Hotels bought the houses and unified them under what they describe as a single village resort with 45 rooms for rent. This village is known as the Kennebunk Port Captain's Collection, and each property has its own distinct character as designed by Massachusetts-based interior designers Rob Blood and Megan Kennedy of Elder and Ash. The resort's shared amenities include a grand drawing room, library, dining room, gardens, lounges, and a butler's pantry bar. There are also complimentary bicycles and a courtesy car for guests wanting to explore beyond downtown. What we really love about the collection is that there seems to be ghosts here. Now, as we said, there are four houses here. They're all next to each other. It's all under one umbrella. Two of them do not have any reports of ghosts, and two of them do. But we want to talk about all four of them. So the first two that we're going to talk about here don't have any ghost stories connected to them, at least yet. I don't know that they've been properly investigated. Very possibly not. So first up, we have the William Jeffords house. The Captain William Jeffords house is at 5 Pearl Street. Sarah Walker was born in 1783, and she married William Jeffords Jr. in 1802. Both of them had been born in Kennebunk Port. Sarah's father, Daniel, gifted the couple 80 square rods of land with love and affection the following year. This was on a lane leading to Walker's Wharf, and they built a two-story, hipped-roof, federal-style house on the land. The couple had 11 children and were fairly well off with Kennebunk Port, considering them one of the most aristocratic families in the town. Captain Jeffords made his money as a shipowner and by conducting trade in the West Indies. He later became a merchant and died in 1851. Sarah continued to live in the house until her death in 1871 at the age of 88. The furniture in the house was auctioned off and the house sold. The Agnew family owned the house in the 1880s and they remodeled the home, adding colonial revival touches like a large central dormer and portico. The house passed through other families until it was purchased in 1996 by the Bartholomew family, and they converted it into a bed and breakfast that they ran for nine years. The next owners were Eric and Sarah Lindblom, and they completely renovated the inn and continued to run it as a commercial enterprise. Lark Hotels gave the house a new design that features 16 rooms with mostly white furnishings that gives the whole house a light and airy feeling. The inn retains the original moldings and wood beams. Six of the rooms are located in a carriage house on the property that is attached to the house. Next, we have the Acton Patterson House. And Kelly, when I originally looked this up for research... 
There apparently is another house that has this exact same name. And it sounds like a really cool place. It's described as whimsical. One of the rooms is like built upside down. And I can't remember where it's located. But at first (laughs) I was like, oh, what a cool house. And then I realized, oh, this isn't in Maine. This is the wrong house. But I'm like, wow, how interesting that there's two houses with the same name. This one is located at 35 Main Street and was built in 1807 by Captain Daniel Walker. It's also a two-story federal-styled home with two brick chimneys. The house had four bedrooms. Captain Nathaniel Lord purchased the house to live in while his mansion was being built nearby, and after he passed, the house was passed down through the family until Captain Acton Patterson bought the home. His daughter ended up marrying Nathaniel Lord's son, and so the house basically ended up back in the Lord family. All right. The house was inherited by their daughter and eventually became an annex for the Nathaniel Lord mansion. After Lark Hotels purchased the property, it was renovated with a country gentleman style that included plaids and distressed leather furniture. You should have a little bit of brandy in the parlor with that. (laughs) I'll grab my snifter. Now, this house is actually available for an entire rent out. So if you need something for your whole family, it's small enough for that kind of a thing, I guess. But no ghosts. Although I'm thinking with some plaids and distressed leather furniture, you got to have a male (laughs) There's got to be a gentleman ghost in here somewhere. (laughs) Next, we have the Captain Nathaniel Lord Mansion, which we just mentioned talking about this house. The Captain Nathaniel Lord Mansion is located at 6 Pleasant Street and is a centerpiece of the resort. Captain Nathaniel Lord was born in 1776 and he married Phoebe Walker in 1797. The couple had the home built in 1812 on a corner lot. Nathaniel had made his money running a shipyard, and so when the British created a blockade of Kennebunk Port during the War of 1812, he had his shipbuilding staff build his home. He needed to put him to work doing something, so he's like, Apparently. well, since we can't build any <laughs> ships right now, come on over and build my house. Lord hired architect Thomas Eaton to design the federal-styled house and spared no expense. Captain Lord and Phoebe Walker had eight children together and adopted a ninth child that was the result of an extramarital affair Nathaniel had with the maid. Oops. <laughs> Whoopsie woo. I just fell into her. Maybe his real name was Arnold? Oh, stop it. You're <laughs> terrible. Oh. Phoebe agreed to raise the child as one of her own. The captain didn't get to enjoy his big, beautiful home for long. He died from influenza at the age of 38 in 1815. Or so the story says. Maybe she poisoned him. Yeah, you never (laughs) know. I mean, that's kind of young. I I know back in the day, influenza killed a lot of people, but maybe she was like, oh, yeah, you want me to raise your other kid? She was a good woman. (laughs) She was. Charles Clark was Lord's grandson, and when he inherited the home in 1898, he decided to give it a makeover and added a three-story addition that was designed by architect William Ralph Emerson. Emerson was known for his work with shingle-style homes. He added hallway arches, hand grain doors, the elliptical staircase in the front, high Victorian wainscoting, beamed ceiling, and a bay window with a curved window seat. The home would stay in the Lord family until 1972, so they had a long run with it. What caused the family to lose the home were tax issues for Captain Lord's great-great-granddaughter, Julia Buckland Fuller. She had to liquidate the estate, including the furniture. How sad. I know. It stays in the family that whole time. The property sat neglected for a while, and then Bev Davis and Rick Litchfield purchased it in 1978, and they restored the mansion using old photos as a guide so they could replicate the 19th century wall coverings and the paint used on the walls. The wood floors were stripped and refinished, and the 22 fireplaces were converted to gas. 22 fireplaces. My goodness. They brought in antiques that matched the aesthetic as well, like a late 1800s Chippendale dining table with matching chairs, 
and 19th century four-poster beds and other 19th century antiques. Lark Hotels kept most of the antiques that were in the mansion. They stripped back the carpeting to reveal pine floors and added velvet drapes, enhanced the crown moldings, and updated the bathrooms. And, you know, you would have appreciated those 22 fireplaces because you're always cold. So that's why I was saying, even if we went right now, you better bring your parka. I know. (laughs) Well, it's a good thing that they had them in all the rooms because I bet it gets very cold in Maine. I know they get a lot of snow. It is believed that a member of the Lord family has stayed on in the house after death. This is believed to be Phoebe. She raised nine children in this home almost by herself since Nathaniel had died young. So it's not hard to believe she would be attached to the dwelling. Phoebe's spirit became most active when the mansion opened up for the first time as a bed and breakfast. She seemed pleased with the restoration. Her former room was named Wisteria, meaning Remembrance of the Dead. And this is where she is most active. The apparition has been seen wearing a long, flowing white nightgown or dressing robe and walking or floating through the room. So she's basically our woman in white. She once startled a newlywed couple who were lying in bed and watched as Phoebe floated through the room and disappeared into a wall. Often, the spirit is standing on the spiral staircase leading up to the cupola. Other times, she's floating up and down that staircase. This has been a favorite spot, as it was with most captain's wives who like to watch their husbands coming in from being out at sea. People claim to see her looking out of the cupola. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Welcome to Codependence. What's up, guys? I'm Sierra Miller, and I want you to join me and my sister, Maya Allen, every week for the inside scoop into our sisterhood. You will be getting front row access to the good, the bad, the ugly, and the pretty. So come let your guard down with your fellow codependents as we laugh and, of course, cry our way through this crazy world. See you every Wednesday. And finally, at this property, we have the Captain James Fairfield House. This is located at 8 Pleasant Street and was built in 1813, designed as a two-story federal-style mansion. So basically, these all look very similar in styling. James Fairfield was born in Arundel, Maine in 1784. His father was a ship captain, and he followed in his footsteps, becoming a captain as well. He was a short guy at five and a half feet tall, but he was self-assured and described as quite handsome. Daniel Walker's daughter, Lois, married James Fairfield in 1807. James went in with his brother-in-law, Captain Joseph Lord, and bought a six-acre lot across the street from Captain Nathaniel Lord's mansion. They planned to build two homes connected to each other so their wives could keep each other company while their husbands were away at sea, but the homes would have to wait for a bit. Fairfield was the captain of the McDonough during the War of 1812 when he was 31 years old. He wasn't fighting in the war, but rather running a privateer venture with three other captains. So they were basically pirates. The McDonough was captured by the British, and he was sent to Dartmoor Prison in England, where he was a prisoner of war for five months. This was a horrible place to be a prisoner. They were all issued a hammock, bedding, and blanket. A bloody massacre took place in the prison on April 6, 1815, with eight prisoners killed and 45 wounded. James tried to get himself released with the first group of prisoners sent back to America by buying another man's place on the ship. But when the authorities called out names, the man he had paid went forward and took his own turn, leaving Fairfield to wait for his. I would be so upset. So now you've lost your money and your spot. He wrote this letter to his wife after his capture. On board his majesty frigate, Bacant Halifax, 
November 12, 1814. Dear wife, it is with regret that I have to inform you of our misfortune of being captured 30 hours after leaving you by the above frigate. By carrying away our aft and main topmasts in the chase, we are all on board this ship at present, but expect to be sent on board some other ship to be sent to England in about eight days, where I expect we shall have to remain until peace, which God send may be soon. I cannot get on shore nor hear anything from Oliver, but we are all well and in good spirits considering our situation. My dear, I wish to make yourself as happy as you possibly can, and I would advise you to sell your horse at any price you can get as the expense of him is considerable, and sell anything you have rather than suffer. I don't know what part of England we shall go to, but shall write every opportunity. Could you find out where I am? Nothing but my liberty would give me more pleasure than a line from you or any of my friends. My dear, I hope this will find you in good health as it leaves me. Asa is well and contented, and Captain Lord likewise. With love and respect, I remain your loving and affectionate husband until death. I love how he's like, dear wife, it's with regret that I have to inform you of our misfortune. <laughs> I know. Instead of like, honey, we're screwed. <laughs> I have been captured. Were, uh, I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> Please find out where I am so that you can write me and they, sell your horse. <laughs> P.S. Sell your horse. They were a little bit more proper back then, my love. Just a little. <laughs> James and his brother-in-law, Joseph Lord, began their homes in 1813 and finished them in 1815. They were two federal-style mansions connected to each other. James and Lois were gifted the money for their house by her father, Daniel. Joseph Lord would unfortunately die in 1817 when the ship he was sailing to Europe to trade cotton sunk, killing him and his entire crew. His wife, Polly, remarried and remained in the double house. James died from pneumonia in 1820, and Lois sold their mansion to Abner Stone. She then moved in with Polly and her new husband. She would only live two more years herself. The houses eventually just became one and went through six or seven families, and then in the early 1980s, the mansion was turned into an inn. In the early 1990s, Chef Dennis and his wife Bonnie bought the inn and restored it, and several years later sold it to Rick Wolf. He converted it into more of a bed and breakfast and owned it until Lark Hotels bought it. Today, the James Fairfield house is described as artful and eclectic and features nine rooms with working fireplaces and abstract art on the walls. The first stories about paranormal activity came when the first renovations were started. The spirit of James Fairfield has been seen in the basement, usually hanging out in a dark corner. One person who reported seeing this was Chef Dennis Telegnon. The ghost seems friendly and is clearly attached to a copy of a portrait he had painted of himself that hangs in the inn. The original is at the Brick Store Museum on Main Street. The crazy story connected to this painting is that James had it done while he was on a voyage. He had it sent back on a ship that sank. Fortunately, the painting was rolled up in a metal cylinder that floated to the surface of the water and was picked up by a Swedish ship two years after James died. Oh my gosh. So it's just out there floating for a while. That's insane. Lois had already died by then, too, but her sister Polly accepted the portrait and had it framed. Wow. And even though it was in this metal cylinder, it managed to stay good. And what a story. Yeah. Very cool. He was going to get that painting home, by goodness. So that was the Kennebunkport Captain's Collection. Now, this other inn that's in town is called the Kennebunk Inn. The Kennebunk Inn sits in the center of the town and was built in 1799. This started as a private residence for a man named Phineas Cole. Benjamin Smith bought the house from Cole and his family owned it until 1875. 
1876, Dr. Oren Ross bought the home and gave it to his son, Dr. Frank Ross, in 1880 as a wedding present. Right across the street, Frank built what came to be known as the Ross Block. The doctor built a two-story wooden building in 1881, and it housed his office and a pharmacy. This burned to the ground, and he rebuilt in 1895, only to have that burned down, too. He got smart the third time around and made the third version out of brick. Good idea. (laughs) This one still stands today and is three stories tall and has hosted a variety of businesses through the years. Dr. Ross specialized in obstetrics and never lost a mother, having helped with over 1,000 deliveries. I thought that was pretty good for the time period that he was a doctor. Absolutely. The doctor died in 1926, and Mr. and Mrs. George Baitler bought the house in 1928 and converted the private home into a hotel called the Tavern. They added a two-and-a-half-story wing and rented out 50 rooms. The inn was named the Kennebunk Inn in the late 1930s and has changed hands several times. Today, this is a very charming inn with verandas on the first and second floors. There is a very well-known spirit here that is believed to have belonged to a former night watchman and auditor named Silas Perkins. He was the son of Captain Fortis Perkins and fancied himself a poet. He was born in 1880 and died of a heart attack at the age of 72 in 1952 at the inn. He is said to be a mischievous specter. My favorite. Of course, (laughs) which you're going to be for sure. Former owners Arthur and Angels LeBlanc told the Bangor Daily News in 1991 about their experiences with Silas's ghost. A waitress told the couple she was psychic and refused to go down into the basement, claiming there was a strong presence down there that she thought was named Cyrus. Angela said, We poo-pooed it and laughed. That was until Silas lifted three mugs off of a shelf and smacked the bartender in the back of the head with them. Ouch. Clearly, That's a little more than mischievous. <laughs> he was ticked. Clearly, Silas did not like this guy. Angela said, this kind of made a believer out of me. I love that. It, it kind of made a believer out of me. Three mugs raise up off the wall and like <laughs> hit somebody in the back of the head. And she goes on to say, I was seated at the bar when it happened. Kind of made a believer. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> what does it take? I don't know. <laughs> a line from one of Silas's poems goes like this. I want to laugh with the common man wherever he chanced to be. I want to aid him when I can, whenever there's need of me. Perhaps his ghostly pranks are just him trying to help out. By clocking somebody upside the head. <laughs> this guy's a bad bartender. Boom. Locked hotel doors will unlock themselves and even swing open in the middle of the night. This may happen over and over in one night. Boxes in the basement tumble over by themselves. Glasses sitting on trays fly through the air and smash into walls. The most active room on the property is room 17. A housekeeper had unplugged the TV so she could move it to clean, and the TV turned itself on without power. Owners Brian and Shannon O'Hay hosted a meet-and-greet session with psychic Vicki Monroe in 2012 at the inn. Monroe claimed there was a female spirit at the inn as well who went by the name Sarah Emily. This ghost likes to stand on the main stairwell and greet visitors when they enter. No one knows where she came from. And then finally, we have our last in here, the Nonantum Resort. And Kelly, if we're going to stay somewhere, this is the place I want to stay in Maine. It's located at 95 Ocean Avenue. This area had once been the site of a trading center between Native Americans and early settlers. Nonantum is Algonquin for prayer or blessing. Captain Henry Heckman built the Nonantum and opened it on July 4th, 1884 with 28 rooms. It was built in a late Italianate style. 
The waterfront area was expanded in 1887 and a small addition was constructed in 1891. At this same time, alterations were made to the inn, adding a Georgian revival facade that included pilasters capped with Corinthian capitals and cartouches and a wide front piazza. The new elements were designed by architect Henry Paston Clark. Heckman died in 1920 and the inn was sold to Felix Bridger and he did extensive renovations which included an elevator and 40 additional rooms. A steam heating system was also added. Felix passed away at 79 in 1953 and his daughter Phyllis Bridger Leathers took over and ran the Nonantum until her death in 1970. In her time, an outdoor swimming pool was added that was filled with salt water. Phyllis's son, William Bridger Leathers, and his wife, Margaret, were the next proprietors, and they added a three-story annex. The inn passed out of the hands of the Leathers family in 1987. The Portside Lodge was added to the property in 1987 and increased the number of rooms available for guests. The original part of the inn is now called the Carriage House Inn. Lots of renovations have been made through the years. There are 110 guest rooms, and this is a popular wedding venue. Jean Jin Marvin is the current innkeeper, and she has been with the establishment for over 24 years. The resort gets most active right before it closes to guests for the winter. I guess it's because they're getting ready to, we're not going to have anybody to feed off of. Staff claim that the 27 spirits who haunt the place are friendly. It's a lot. Lights turn on and off by themselves, and the doors open and close on their own. Plates on tables spin around on their own. Staff have been unsettled when vacuuming in hallways because when they turn and look to the end of the hallway, they find that furniture has been turned as if to seat someone unseen who wants to watch them work. They're overseers. Yeah, (laughs) and people often feel that they are being watched by someone that they can't see. One of the spirits is said to be a former guest named Sadie. This apparition has been seen wandering the hallways. A ghost named Julia likes to warm her hands by the lobby fireplace. The kitchen is haunted by a spirit named Ursula. Tim Ames was a sales director back in 2007, and he told the Seacoast Online, Four ladies from New York were sharing a room when one of the beds began to shake violently. Another time, when he was working the front desk late at night, he got a call from another woman on the third floor. She said, Should we evacuate? And I said, Why? While all was quiet and calm in the lobby, it appears this woman's room was rocking as if an earthquake was occurring. Ames raced upstairs, but as soon as he arrived, the woman said, The shaking stopped. (laughs) Okay. Somebody wants you to get out of bed. Psychic Vicki Monroe also visited this establishment, and she told the hotel that it had those 27 spirits and most enjoyed looking out the windows. A very old piano had been removed from the lobby, and Monroe reported that a very large male ghost named Will or Bill wasn't happy about that and that he wanted the piano put back. She had no idea that there had been a piano in the lobby. Turns out that a man named Will had once been an owner. He weighed in at 600 pounds and had a wife who had owned that very piano. Pretty accurate psychic. Monroe also said that there were several child ghosts in the inn and that they especially like playing pranks in the bathrooms. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the spirit of a small balding man also made himself known to the psychic. Kennebunkport is a beautiful coastal community with quite a few charming and historic inns. They make a great place to get away in New England especially if one is interested in interacting with a few ghosts. Are these inns in Kennebunkport haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, lots of great places to check out to stay in Maine. I hear it's beautiful in the fall. We'll have to make a road trip. We'd love to have you guys take a trip over to our website, historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. 
We got a comment over on YouTube. You guys can leave comments over there. This was under our Holly Hotel video, and it was from Heather G5107. The women's bathroom reoccurring for hauntings makes sense. Water helps activity manifest. Plus, women are more sensitive to the paranormal than most men. Put the two together and you have the perfect combination. I thought that was a pretty good point to be making. Absolutely. We got an email from Julia. She said, hi, loved your episode on Bloody Mary. I grew up in the Baltimore area and we had our own variation of the legend. In Maryland, instead of Bloody Mary, we would go into the bathroom and say Black Aggie three times. So we know the story about Black Aggie. So that's actually what they use. I did not know that. The legend was that sometime in the 19th century, a woman named Aggie murdered a husband with a pair of scissors. And if you went into the bathroom and, and did the ritual, she would come through with a pair of scissors, kill you and leave a black rose. The legend started, as these things usually do, with something true but far removed from the legend it turned into. There was a statue installed at a local cemetery for General Felix Agnes, which we actually talked about in our Black Aggie episode. The statue was quite creepy and became the site of local fraternity hazing, etc. Urban legends grew that someone spending a night in its lap would be haunted by the ghosts of those buried there, that the spirits of individuals buried at Druid Ridge would annually convene at the statue, that no grass would grow on the ground where the statue's shadow would lie during the daytime, Or that the statue would animate itself during the night, whether by physically moving or by showing glowing red eyes. Somehow that grew and grew and General Agnes became Black Aggie and she traveled through mirrors. The original statue was removed and is now in the Smithsonian. I've seen it personally and can confirm that that it does indeed inspire terror. It has to be seen to be believed. Love the show. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that, Julia. And then I just wanted to add this, Kelly little bit of synchronicity that always happens around here. (laughs) I'm going in to read Julia's email and I noticed that we got a brand new one that I hadn't even opened yet from Savannah and she wanted to suggest a location for us. And what would that be? Well, just this morning, you and I were talking (laughs) about how thrilled we were that everybody had enjoyed having Jared on while we were talking about the USS Salem and we're thinking about where is the USS Texas going to end up after it gets done being dry docked and fixed because he really wants to see that and we're hoping Galveston is one of the cities they're talking about leaving it in so we hope they do that because we really want to go to Galveston but then I was like you know there's other places that we haven't checked out these ships yet and I've been in Charleston many times and seen the Yorktown the carrier sitting there but I've never been inside of it I've just seen the outside of it when I've been out in the harbor and this place is supposed to be really haunted as well and so we were looking at it just this morning and going (laughs) we need to go visit it and take Jared with us it would be so cool and we could go with the bulldog tours who we really love because they're the ones we've done the Charleston old jail with So Savannah, we were literally talking about the Yorktown (laughs) this morning. And then I go into my emails and I see the subject line, USS Yorktown. And I went, are you kidding me? Yeah, it was just about two hours ago that we were discussing. Literally. Researching it. Yes, Savannah. Thank you for (laughs) suggesting it. We're definitely considering it. (laughs) I actually have a book on it, too. It's just something we hadn't done yet. And I was waiting so that I could actually go and do it. Because if if I know there's a chance we might get to some place in the very near future. Yeah. I try to hold off on it because I'd like it to be more personal or for us to get to do an investigation there. Just some more of that. HGB synchronicity. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to welcome into the cemetery, Joanna Scott. We're going to be burying you in a garden crypt. And in three months, you'll be getting your HGB logo mug. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. We really could not produce this show without you guys. You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify. 
iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Her former room was named Wisteria, meaning remembrance. <laughs> where I expect we shall have to remain until peace, which God send. Where, where I... It's always hard to read. Well, my Letters brain gets going and my mouth doesn't keep up. Come on! Whoopsh, whoopsh. <laughs> Darn brain. Where I expect we shall have to remain until peace, which God, which God send may be soon. I mean, part of the problem is he's writing in Old English. A very old piano had been removed from the lobby, and Monroe... Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.